Hello, hello, shiny happy people. Welcome to another episode of this fun discussion. I hope all of you are staying safe, healthy, and keeping not just yourselves, but also your communities safe as well. Okay, make sure you get up, move around, and let's get started. So this episode is something that uh, is about a topic that is near and dear to me. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching CNBC and I saw an episode where the person was talking about how they negotiated the rent down by 20%. And they were talking about how the real estate industry is changing. In our business, I and my colleagues, we're having lots of negotiations with our clients on rates again on relooking at contracts that were that were before the covid era and it got me thinking what's happening out there are our negotiation skills being tested and that's really what this episode is all about we have an exciting guest uh, mark gordon mark is i would in the simplest of ways say that he is a negotiation guru he's a founding partner of Vantage Partners, based out of Boston, which has strong linkages to the Harvard Negotiation Project. He is someone that I look up to as a mentor. Uh, I've learned a lot from some of the negotiation programs he's been doing. And interestingly, he also advises a lot of firms on negotiating and collaborating with partners and principals. So it'll be a very interesting conversation with Mark. And um, let's get to it right after this little music break. So let's get started on our interview segment. I am so happy to have with us our guest, Mark Gordon. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Vinay. Good to speak with you. Yes, I know it's early morning for you in Boston. So how are you uh, doing during these the times of the pandemic, as we call it? I am coping with COVID surprisingly well. I'm having a fabulous time at home, able to see children and grandchildren with a much higher degree of frequency than normal. We're in a bubble together, so we don't go out much. We spend a lot of time with each other, and the weather's been wonderful in Boston for the last several months, which makes it very conducive to hanging out at home and in the backyard. And the only thing that I'm missing is meeting with clients around the world, because for more than 40 years, I traveled every week. Um, And I haven't left Boston since March 13th, when I arrived back here from from Qatar. Yes, I think all of us who travel a lot are definitely missing airports. And I think the excitement of travel, not necessarily the journey, right? Great. So, you know, uh, one of the things I really wanted to chat with you about, and um, I learned a lot from you about negotiation, is um, that the whole concept of negotiation is changing. Everybody's renegotiating things, contracts. So what, what are you seeing and sensing around the world when it, with your clients, with the people you work with? 
So one way of thinking about the current turbulent times is with COVID, that negotiation is increasing in frequency, and sometimes the stakes of negotiation is increasing as well. Systems that we used to be in with clients, with colleagues, with family members, uh, where we didn't need to review how we work together, didn't need to review our terms and conditions, if you will. Uh, we had a status quo that worked pretty well up until sometime around March of this year. Um, and now many things are different. So in our world, many of our clients had contracts with us for skill development, for example, where they anticipated we'd be able to do live training in classrooms for cohorts all over the world. And that assumption made a lot of sense, but then all of a sudden we couldn't travel, groups couldn't gather. So the question was, how do we convert some of that to virtual training or digital asynchronous training, or do we just put it on pause? And I suspect many people in the human resources development, skill development sector um, are totally looking at revamping the way they work with their clients, the way they perform their training, um, and how they get the job done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what we are facing here as well. But one of the things I, I had a thought around was the concept of rates, right? There's this perception that when we talk about fees, that fees for virtual work are should be lower than face-to-face -face work. Whereas in reality, clients and anybody who's using a service provider is saving money on travel costs, accommodation, so many other savings. But the actual service fee, uh, I was talking to a couple of professional services company, they're also hearing and seeing that. What's your take on it? Should it be different? So I think it's evolving in the marketplace, Vinay. We do have some experience over recent months and many clients were indeed saying at the outset, but wait a minute, you're not there in person, shouldn't the fee go down? And when we've had conversations with them, we've explained, look, the intellectual property behind the training is exactly the same. The effort that it takes to work with a group, whether I'm working with them virtually or working with them in the classroom is the same amount of effort and the opportunity cost is the same. Uh, yes, it does save some on travel time. Um, so there's both a savings in out-of-pocket cost and also a saving in the provider's time that might be reflected in something of a savings. Uh, but in general, if you can do training just as effectively virtually as you do in the classroom and the participants get the same value, there's no inherent reason why the price point should be any different than classroom training. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually trying to convince clients that the effort for virtual is slightly even more than face-to-face uh, -face because some of that gets staggered across multiple days, for example, right? Whereas our investment was just into one or two days and now you're spreading that over four or five. So in reality, we should be getting more, but that's a more difficult conversation to have sometimes. Yep. And, yeah. and also for, for a lot of the training that's being done now, professional producers are involved in addition to the service provider. So there's actually some additional resource that's sometimes applied to doing virtual training. Now, the size of the training cohort, different providers have different attitudes towards that. If it's a very interactive, experiential virtual program, we prefer groups that are quite small, something like 12 to 16. Whereas in a classroom cohort, we generally will train upwards of 20 to 24. Um, so there, if the client's looking at the cost per head, uh, they may indeed have some concerns about paying the same total price for a workshop if there are fewer participants in the workshop. Mm. Yeah, correct. I think that's another factor. I want to just switch tax here because this is our work, but you do a lot of advising and, and consulting around negotiation that your clients do with their other clients and service providers. What are the, what are the asks that you're getting around negotiation skills? Because I'm assuming they're negotiating more and more, not just with us, but with all the other service providers, with their customers. And what are the kind of asks you're hearing from them? 
Yeah, so we've been working with a number of our clients in the professional service industry, whether it's audit and accounting, whether it's other financial service, whether it's insurance services, um, where they were anticipating early on that a lot of their clients would come in and say, look, we're hurting, we're in a long-term relationship, we'd like you to share the pain with us. Uh, we'd agreed to pay a fee of a million dollars for your services, but can you cut it back by 20% and only charge us 800,000 this year? So we work with several very large global service providers on how do they deal with those incoming requests from clients where there's no particular legitimate basis for lowering your fees. You're providing the same audit services, for example. Um, and indeed, in times of crisis, in times of disruption, in times of turbulence in the marketplace, uh, on the audit side of the world, uh, there may be actually incremental extra work that has to be done in order to provide the books and accounts of the corporation. So if anything, fees should be going up, not down. So equipping professionals with the rational legitimacy arguments for how do they deal with those incoming requests for discounts, and then how do they have conversations about scope change and scope creep, where it takes a lot longer to get things done because you don't have clients in their offices getting you the books and records and details you need in a timely fashion. That may slow you down. That may disrupt your audit process. And you may not be able to leverage it as well because you can't plan it as far in advance. Those are all very good arguments for actually getting a fee increase, not decrease. Yeah, and, and I... I'm also guessing that this is a great opportunity to come up with more creative options as well, right? In terms of being able to offer services, being able to do work much more than before. I just feel that the whole blinders around creating options has just gone away. Everybody's being more creative than ever before. That's something you I see think, as well. I think, that's, I think that's right. And Vinay, you know, some people are having to be very creative about their negotiations at home with their significant other. Um, <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, they're in a very new relationship where you had a significant other who managed the household while you were out of town traveling and working. Now, all of a sudden, you're at home disrupting the household and their expectations as to what your role will be now that you're home rather than away. And that's a, that's a very difficult set of negotiations at times. And negotiating with your teenagers who are at home when you thought they'd be off at school can be incredible challenging. Absolutely. The biggest challenge in my house is we're negotiating internet bandwidth, right? Who, who gets full bandwidth at home at what time? Exactly. Right? That allocation schedule at home is a very challenging negotiation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. One of the other interesting articles I saw the other day was how to negotiate a raise during the pandemic, <laughs> right? So it was uh, from a job site that was advising employees on giving guidance on negotiating with their bosses. But there's lots of funny stuff going around. One question I had is this pressure on, on low rates or pushing it down. I hear this term, everybody's right pricing and right sizing the household budget, the, the business budgets, et cetera. Do you think we'll ever get out of this right sizing? Do you think it'll go back or is this, and I hate to use the term, new normal moving forward? Yeah, so, so I think some of it is a new normal. I think people are finding there are some things they assume they had to do in person that they're doing as efficiently, if not much more efficiently remotely. Um, and there's no particular reason to go back to that. Just to, in our business, as we think about skill development, we now have hybrid programs that has some digital asynchronous learning as well as some virtual learning. Um, and clients are seeing huge benefits from that. Um, and to the extent that can be combined with some classroom-based learning when the time is right and travel is allowed and groups can get together, 
together, you know, I'm foreseeing that into the future, our business model will change. It will not just go back to the way it was pre-COVID. Um, and I think many companies are finding that remote employees are being as productive or more productive than they were when they were coming to the office. So to the extent there's a huge amount of time and disruption in commuting to and from the office for some operations, if they can minimize that and have people come in occasionally rather than every day, uh, they may find their employees are much more productive and also happier. Uh, so I think some of this is going to spark some significant changes going forward. It's not just going to be temporary. We deal with COVID and then we go back to normal. Uh, I think there's going to be a hybrid afterwards. Yeah, no, I agree. So uh, do you think, uh, I mean, from my perspective, there are some industries that are fundamentally going to shift permanently, right? I mean, if you take a look at hospitality, airlines, some of the ones that have been beaten down the, the most if or impacted, I would say. Uh, so as the hotels are coming back up, I'm seeing their rates go much lower, but in terms of the standards they're putting in, the hygiene standards and everything else they're trying to put in, I'm guessing the investment from them is a lot more. Uh, so they're, I, I don't know, I mean, is it a buyer's market, seller's market? What's your sense? Yeah, I mean, in, in travel and hospitality that have been hit so hard, obviously they want to start to increase foot traffic as early as possible and they'll provide some incentives. You can imagine some of the cruise lines early on are going to offer huge incentives to start to get passengers back on board the cruise ships so they can have a positive experience and that'll become uh, well-known in, uh, in the public. So I can imagine there are going to be teaser rates, there are going to be discounts early on. I don't think that's sustainable longer term as hotels and other hospitality operations get up to speed. Um, and I think there may actually be some premium services that may be offered over time uh, where you're getting the extra measure of safety, if you will, and willing to pay for it. Uh, they may actually be able to increase prices beyond where they were pre-COVID for certain kinds of services in certain kinds of ways. Um, I've, I've heard of one or two restaurants now in, in our area uh, that actually have a, a, a discount if you want super swift service. Uh, so you get in, all the food is served, you order it online, all the food is served and you sit down, you have minimal contact with staff and you're paying somewhat less, but they're getting turnover of their tables much more rapidly than they would have standard service. So their margins actually go up. Uh, so I think there, we will see some creativity in coping with both the current situation and then going forward, what can the new normal look like in a way that makes sense for consumers as, as well as for service providers? Yeah, on a lighter note, I can imagine uh, a hotel saying double sanitized is this rate, triple sanitized rooms are this rate, right? Exactly. <laughs> super clean where you don't go to the front check-in desk, you're greeted outside, somebody comes and gives you your card so you go straight to your room, right? Some people will pay a premium for that service. Right. Yeah. No, but it's sort of interesting. So what tips are you? So see, the other group I'm starting to work with a lot more is procurement, which is often the ones that come to us for understanding negotiating, but we're working with them in renegotiating stuff. Uh, are you seeing any new trends show up in procurement here? So, I mean, there are many procurement organizations that are working with their suppliers, and most of them will segment their supplier base. There are those that are more commodity-oriented, where costs of switching are low, there's no strategic imperative for a particular commodity. Um, and, and there they may be squeezing their suppliers some to see if there's excess margin that they can get, and this is an inflection point where they can go back and renegotiate or negotiate and follow on contract extension on more favorable terms. Um, and then at the other end of the pyramid of, of suppliers, um, procurement people deal with some much more strategic suppliers where there may be some ways of working together and innovating through these turbulent times in a way that gives strategic advantage. 
Um, and there they may not be looking to extract better pricing. They may be looking to find ways of extracting more value from working together and collaborating. They may be willing to pay those suppliers much more money in order to get a strategic advantage. Uh, so I think as we work with procurement organizations, it's very variable as to their approach to dealing with their supplier base. It depends on the kind of supplier, the nature of the relationship, and what are the opportunities for either cost savings or benefit enhancement on each end mm. of the spectrum. Yeah, and one of the things I've been fighting the urge is this, the desperation complex, right? To get any business or the seller's desperation where any revenue is better than no revenue. And I'm seeing so many people drop their prizes to get some work rather than have no work. And that creates such terrible precedence for the future. Um, and it's a shame because I, I personally feel that from a buyer's perspective, there is a and this is my opinion, I'd love to hear your thoughts. There's got to be, I think, some social responsibility to make sure your suppliers are viable, that you might get the cheapest price from them today, but if that's going to put them out of business down the road, what's the point, right? This is the time where we need to come together and have probably the word fair and win-win have never been truer than before. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I just feel that sometimes people are taking advantage of uh, sellers I don't know your thoughts. So I think in most cases, a corporation has an interest in the viability and ongoing ability of their suppliers to do business. Um, so if you have an interest in your supplier's economic viability, you can't squeeze them so hard on price that they're going to either go out of business or fail to deliver. They'll make a contract, but they won't be able to deliver. Uh, so a piece of paper that says you can get a price of X when that's not sustainable for your supplier, in the short term, they may find a way to get you the product at the price of X, but over time, it's not sustainable. They can't do it. So either they're going to default on your product, or they're going to give you inferior quality product, or they're going to be late. Um, and, and in general, uh, there's a book I wrote a number of years ago called The Point of the Deal. Uh, if you're negotiating with a supplier to a price that's unsustainable, you're missing the point. Uh, the point is not to get a short-term benefit that's going to drive your supplier out of business. That's not in your interest because you will not be able to get goods and services from that supplier. Um, and if it's then going to be your, they're an integral part of your supply chain and you are harmed because they go out of business, uh, it's not looking out for your supplier because you're a nice guy or because it's the ethical and moral thing to do. It's out of pure self-interest. If your suppliers default on getting what you bargained for, uh, your supply chain is disrupted and you can't do your business. So as a sheer matter of self-interest, we have to care about our suppliers enough that they can stay in business. Now, that doesn't mean if they had very large margins before and they could continue to work with someone smaller margins. This may not be an opportunity to capture some of that value. That may make perfect sense, but I think you're right. You have to be worried about overreaching in a time when a supplier may be so desperate for business, they do something that's imprudent and doesn't make sense for them. Yeah. And, and, and I think you hit the point. It's all about short term versus long term. And I just sense that today, everybody's looking at the month, the quarter, just get, let's get through this vaccine will be found. And <laughs> You know, we'll, we'll we'll revisit it, but I hope more companies sort of start taking a look at both on the buyer side, as well as on the seller side. So, what tips uh, are you sharing now? You know, when you start doing these negotiation stuff now, what are some best practices that you could share maybe for our listeners to be watchful for? Yeah, so I mean, the, the overall strategy of negotiation from our point of view really hasn't changed in the time of COVID. Some of the contexts are different. Some of the challenges are different, but the same structure of negotiation applies. Think hard about legitimacy. Think hard about fairness uh, for purposes of coming up with a deal that makes sense. Uh, you had mentioned win-win before, Vinay. You know, think about how you can satisfy your counterpart's interests um, in a way that doesn't hurt you. 
Um, just because you're giving something away doesn't mean that the size of your counterpart's win is not much larger than the size of your loss. And if there are high value trades to make, if I have a supplier who's really desperate for continuity of business and I can extend the term of a contract with them and get somewhat more favorable pricing, and that pricing is sustainable for them and I'm entering into a longer commitment for, for buying, that may be in their interest. So they have those contracts they can rely on because they do know a source of revenue will be coming in. So look for those opportunities for creative options for coming up with things that are good for them and not bad for me and good for me and not bad for them. Those are the kinds of trades that get to true win-win outcomes. And as economists would talk about, that's the way to get to a Pareto optimal solution with your counterpart. Uh, use your creativity for getting there. Um, the fact that communication is challenging, communication is always a critical element in negotiation. Now think about how you're gonna manage the communication process when you can't sit down with your counterpart the way you used to. Uh, in many cultures, as you know, Benet, you've worked around the world, uh, the sitting down, the having tea, the having lunch with your counterpart is really an integral part to getting to a deal. Uh, now that we can't travel, now that we can't look somebody in the eye uh, other than over Zoom, um, uh, for some people, it's, it's much more challenging to handle the communication and relationship aspects of negotiation. So think how you're going to manage them. It's, it was funny, just last week, I had a client who asked for a conference call. And I said, you mean, you mean like a, a Zoom? They said, no, no, let's just do a call without video. I'm sick of being on video every day, all day long. Right. Um, I said, okay, happy to do that, but I frankly can't remember how to set up a conference call. I can set up a, a Zoom in an instant, uh, but I have to talk to my assistant, Jen, to figure out how to set up a conference call because I haven't done that in six months. Um, so I think thinking through how do we manage the communication and relationship piece of negotiation in, as we can't travel as much, as we can't have face-to-face -face meetings as much, is, is something that's very important to think about now. Um, and as you said, mentioned earlier, think hard about the precedence you're setting in these conversations. Uh, if as a supplier, you are lowering your price in the face of a, a request from the customer or client to lower your price, you know, think about what they're learning. Think about the lesson that's there. Um, think about what you're training them to do. Um, if they're threatening to not go forward with business unless you lower your price and then you lower your price, uh, you're basically rewarding that behavior. Uh, when things calm down after COVID, you can expect that lesson is likely to be remembered and you can expect to continue to threaten the relationship to extort concessions from you. Uh, whereas if when they request a lower price, you say, let's talk about that on the merits. Let's talk about what we can do. What can you give me that would make that make sense? Can we extend the term? Can we increase the volume? Can I get a higher share of your volume? Can they agree to sole source to me? There are a whole bunch of things I might be interested in talking about where I might be able to give you a somewhat lower cost because you're lowering my costs of providing goods and services to you. And that's a win-win outcome. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I think hear you, hearing you talk about all of the seven elements, right, that you and I are familiar with, and yep. hopefully our listeners will go and do some research around it. You know, the one thing maybe I would summarize that as saying, typically the old adage that desperate times call for desperate measures, and pandemic can be considered desperate times, but when it comes to negotiation, uh, don't use desperate measures, stay a principled negotiator, right? Stay within the merits, I think. That's probably the best summary to a negotiator today because right. yeah, it's so easy to become reactive to the situation around you with all the bad news. And, uh, but it's such a balance to trying to keep business afloat, trying to, everyone's trying to now trim costs and all of that and still stay there. And I think I would probably say from a leadership perspective, it's saying centered and calm and all of those become good behavioral skills as well. Exactly right.
So one of the things we have as the podcast, if you've heard a couple, we have this RWL segment where we ask our guests to make recommendations around something to read, watch, or or listen. So what recommendations do you have, Mark? I know your book, The Point of the Deal, is obviously we'll add some of the stuff there, uh, but what recommendations do you have to, for our listeners? Yeah, I don't know if your listeners have already had this recommendation, but going back to some of the basics in these turbulent times is not a bad idea. Uh, Getting to Yes was first written in 1981, uh, but it's still a bestseller on negotiation. It's still organized common sense that makes sense in hard times as well as good times. Uh, There's a book called Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Much, Most. Uh, We're having difficult conversations at home. We're having difficult conversations with our boss. We're having difficult conversations with employees. Uh, with suppliers, with customers. So uh, I think Difficult Conversations, that's by uh, uh, Patton, Heen, and Stone. Uh, certainly worth reading that book as well. Yeah, and di- let's not forget Difficult Conversations with Ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yep. Every morning. <laughs> yeah, so final question. How do you keep yourself motivated? How do you keep yourself positive through these times? Oh, I'm, I have fun with everything I do. I just uh, enjoy what I do so much. It, I, I often tell people it's so much better than working for a living. I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> uh, so the, the, the only thing that was a real challenge early on in the COVID crisis until it went on long enough for me to have to deal with it is uh, back in March and April when I all of a sudden wasn't traveling. Uh, the difference between weekdays and weekends seemed to make no difference. The difference between days and nights seemed to make no difference. I could have Zoom calls with clients all over the world where it was daytime for them, middle night for me. Eventually, my wife put her foot down and said, look, this pandemic is not an excuse for you to work 20 hours a day. Uh, get off your computer. Um, and that was uh, obviously a re- reasonable demand. So I now have to manage my own schedule a little better because I love what I do. And it's so much fun talking with people around the world about their challenges. You know, that, that is great. And that, that's a great tip. Enjoy, observe, and love what you do. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us. And I hope this has been fun for you as well. Appreciate it. And let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, Vinay, for inviting me to come here today. That was a really interesting conversation with Mark Gordon. Some great tips there. Uh, I, I actually enjoyed his positive outlook and, and I do know that he really does enjoy everything he, he's doing. So this is a great tips. Uh, just to summarize, don't react, stay positive, make sure you're thinking long-term and not doing just short-term stuff and make sure you're looking at fair principles of negotiation. These are challenging times for all of us. And we need to be able to support our ecosystem in the business world, whether it's our suppliers, our partners, our customers, our clients, or even as an individual. Uh, I like his stories about negotiating at home, our own family ecosystem, as well as our landlords and tenants and whoever out there. So be conscious, be community focused folks, and uh, that'll help us all stay positive and come out of this pandemic more stronger and with stronger relationships with each other. On that note, this has been an interesting episode. I hope you all continue to stay well. See you next week. Over and out. Thank you for listening to the Shiny Happy People podcast. Subscribe to us. We are available on your favorite podcast platforms. This podcast is brought to you by C2COD. 
your organizational development consulting partner, bringing strategy and people together. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram using the handle at C2COD and get updates on our upcoming episodes. Oh,